Good morning, church. I want to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 9 this morning. Acts chapter 9, it is uh, good to be together again. Uh, A number of us uh, were at the church retreat yesterday and uh, had an encouraging time away together as a church family. Um, And just want to encourage you to continue to grow as a people who are, uh, care for the suffering, as was our theme yesterday at our retreat. I uh, will say this, I, uh, just before I walked up here, I uh, asked, oh, there it is. <laughs> I asked my daughter for my Bible, and she said, it's not in my bag. And I thought, well, I'm going to preach this without notes. But look, look at God. I mean, I was going to try to go without notes, but I guess I have my notes here. That was just my warning, and uh, you can forget that. Um, Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43 is where we're going to be at today. Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43, and be praying for our brother Mike Roach this morning, one of our elders, as he preaches at another church today. Um, Glad to have opportunities to serve the body broadly through, through the church here. Acts chapter 9, when you're there, say amen, so I know. All right, Acts chapter 9, verse 32, follow along uh, in a copy of the scriptures as I read. It says, now as Peter went here and there among them all, He came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aenus, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, They took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. I want to preach to you this morning on this passage, and I'm going to title my sermon, Ordinary People for an Extraordinary Mission. And I hope that this encourages the ordinary people in this room. If you think you're extraordinary, this might not quite apply. But if you feel pretty regular, pretty ordinary, 
I hope that this passage encourages you today. Let's pray and ask God for His help. Father, we thank You for Your help as we come into this text. We know that Christ is with us. We recognize that He is with us because we are gathered together in His name. I pray that we would experience Jesus this morning through His preached uh, Word. Father, I pray that as I preach, that I would preach not just my own ideas, uh, but that I would preach Your truth. Help me, God, as I communicate. I pray that You would open up the, the hearts and the ears of the listeners, that we might hear Your Word, that You might strengthen us in it, shape us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I was looking at some art online the other day, not to buy, uh, I don't have that kind of money, but I do like looking at art, and I saw this one piece by Guido Danielle, an Italian artist, and it was really an interesting piece. It was this sculpture that kind of laid on the floor, and it, it, it looked like this industrial sort of sunburst explosion, uh, just this swirl, uh, and, and as I looked at this sculpture, what I noticed was that it was made out of flip phones. The artist took hundreds and hundreds of flip phones and turned the phones into a beautiful sculpture. What made this piece interesting was not the quality of the flip phone, but rather the quality of the artist. Ordinary materials for an extraordinary purpose. Are you with me? What makes God's mission remarkable is not the quality of the people that he uses, but the quality of the artist. Not how extraordinary you and I are, but rather how extraordinary God is. Now, I, I said I want you to be encouraged by this text because we're looking at a man named Peter. Peter was pretty regular, if not deficient. Peter was a fidgety kind of guy. Fear. Peter lacked in faith. Peter was flawed. Uh, this is the guy, this is the guy who jumped out onto the water with Jesus only to immediately lack faith in Jesus Christ. This is the guy who was quick to confess that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior, but, but was quick to deny Him when confronted by man. He was afraid. He was inconsistent. This is the guy who even a couple chapters later in the story down the road, he's going to have a confrontation with Paul because Peter all of a sudden gets afraid of the Jewish Christian leadership and, and gets all legalistic with the Gentiles. He's an inconsistent kind of guy. He's weak. Yet he is used in remarkable ways for the mission of God. Not because of who he is, but because of who his God is. And I hope that this encourages those of us who are regular. Because some of us would say, well, you know, I'm too weak. I'm too inconsistent. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm too afraid. Well, so was Peter. I'm too regular. Well, so was Peter. When we look at the book of Acts, let's kind of step back a little bit. 
When we think of the book of Acts, it begins in Acts chapter 1 with Jesus' command to go where? To Jerusalem. What's next? Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And as we're going through Acts, what we're seeing is the development of how the church went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then finally to the ends of the earth. Now for them, the ends of the earth is going to begin with this Gentile mission that we see in Acts chapter 10. As, as a, a man named Cornelius gets saved. Now, as we've been going through Acts, we noticed just, what, a chapter ago, a man named Saul was converted. Why does, why does Luke tell us about Saul's conversion just before the Cornelius story? Well, it's because Saul is going to become the greatest missionary to the Gentiles, to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the, the world. So we see Saul's conversion, and then last week we saw, saw some of Saul's ministry, but then Luke kind of pauses Saul and says, we're going to get back to Saul later, and he turns his attention back to Peter. Well, why Peter? Well, it's because Peter is going to be the one that goes to this man named Cornelius, which we'll see next uh, in two weeks. So here we're, we're, we're brought back into the narrative of Peter's ministry. This isn't the first time that we've seen Peter in Acts. It's not the first time he's performed healings and miracles and, and preached and seen great results as a, uh, uh, from his preaching. But we're brought back to Peter for this purpose. Because Peter is going to, to take the gospel to what you might call the first kind of full-blooded Gentile in Acts. And so as our attention is brought to Peter, what we see are two miracles. Why these miracles? Well, the purpose of these miracles is not just so that Ananias can have his legs back. It's not just so uh, Tabitha is able to have a few more days on this earth. But the miracles, as we've discussed earlier in Acts, the miracles serve a bigger purpose. They serve to confirm the apostolic message. So it's almost as if Luke is saying, all right, before I tell you about the whole Cornelius thing, which is going to be very controversial, before I tell you that, I need to remind you that, that Peter is a confirmed apostle and that his message has been confirmed by these miracles. So the purpose really isn't just the miracles, it's the message. It's the message that's about to go to the Gentiles. And it goes through this man, who's regular, who's ordinary, named Peter. The miracles give him credibility, they confirm his word, and the miracles also should encourage us to know that when the gospel went to the Gentiles, which I imagine most of us in this room, if not all of us, are Gentiles, when the gospel went to the Gentiles, it went with the confirmation of miracles. Meaning, take heart, the gospel is for you as well. Now, how might we be encouraged in our own mission? 
If the gospel is for us, and if we have been entrusted with this message, we too, like Peter, are to be on mission, taking the gospel to other people. Go into all of the world and preach the gospel. I believe that that applies to every disciple of Jesus Christ. So how might we regular people be encouraged as we look at the life, the ministry of the Apostle Peter? Let me give you a couple different points here, five different points that you can apply and understand for your own life. First, Peter was energized. Peter was energized. And what I mean by energized is not like the... the uh, uh, the Energizer Bunny. Remember that little pink bunny with the battery that just keeps on going? I don't mean that because Peter actually knew how to stop. Peter knew how to linger. He knew how to rest. Uh, someone once said that many people have a reputation of having energy when in all reality they're just fidgety. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the person that can't sit still. You can't even get into a deep conversation with them because they're always looking for the door. After Peter saw the risen Christ, was filled with the Holy Spirit, something changed in Peter's life. He was no longer this fidgety kind of Peter that he once was, but now uh, it's almost as if his personality was transformed. He still has energy, praise God for that, but it's compelled by a different kind of force. And I would simply say this, that Peter is compelled by love. I want to go back, Mark, Mark 6, there's this wonderful story I love about Jesus, where Jesus is getting into a boat with his disciples. It says that they haven't even eaten. They've been crowded around with, with all of these people and they can't even get some food. And, and so Jesus is like, we need to get away. We need some time. I need like, maybe just some time to just get away from the crowds and eat a bite of food. And so uh, Jesus says to his disciples, let's get in this boat and let's, let's go rest. They get in the boat. The crowd, somebody's in the crowd watching where the boat's going. Word is spreading. And by the time Jesus and his disciples get to what was supposed to be a quiet place for some rest, by the time they get to shore, the crowd has already showed up. 5,000 people. Now, if, if, uh, if it were you, you might be like, all right, you know, back out into the water. We are going to find another place on the run. I'm done with people for the day. But I, I love this story because in verse 32, or verse 30, 34, it says that when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. You see, what motivated Jesus in his own mission was not just his extroverted personality. Jesus himself wanted to get away from the crowds at times. What motivated him was his compassion. Compelled by compassion. Look at verse 32 in our text. It says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all. That's the line I'm going after right there. Peter is on the move. 
He's going from here to there. And I don't think it's just because Peter's an extrovert. I don't think it's just because Peter's uh, 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 fidgety. But rather, I believe that Peter has been transformed by the Holy Spirit to look more like Jesus, and he is compelled by compassion to go here and to go there. Among them all. What's he doing? He's probably visiting Christians. He's visiting the saints. He's probably praying with them. He's probably encouraging them. He's probably strengthening them. Compelled by compassion. That's where his energy energy came from. Peter did not just simply get the Holy Spirit, see some conversions, and then retire to the beach. But he said, my whole life is going to be from here to there. Driven by love. I think we can apply this to our own lives. One aspect, one principle we could kind of draw from this is simply to say this, that Peter was not confined to a certain region. Peter was not confined to a certain block. He was not confined to a certain neighborhood. He was not confined to a certain ethnicity. He was not confined to a certain language. But Peter visited everybody. Went from here to there. You see, the gospel does not allow us to say, I will never go. Fill in the blank. I will never go to the projects. I will never go inside the Avenue Market. I will never go, You name it. I will never go to another city. I will never go to another neighborhood. I will never go to another country. I would never do that. Let us, let us be energized in the same way Peter is. Very, very simple application, saints. Visit other church members. It's as simple as visiting one another, encouraging each other, praying with each other. Instead of sitting at home, wasting all of your social energy on social media, in the evenings, it's nice outside, go out for a walk and engage your neighbors. Be compelled not by any kind of personality trait you think you may or may not have, but be compelled by compassion. He was energized. Secondly, I see here that Peter has eyes. He sees opportunities. Again, I think Luke is paralleling some of Jesus' ministry with Peter's ministry. So look at verse 33. It says, There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Sounds a lot like Luke chapter 5. When Jesus has a paralyzed man that is brought to him. And, and you can kind of follow the story and compare it to that one, and there's a lot of parallels there. Or, or let's keep going down to the Tabitha situation, a young woman who's dead. That sounds a lot like Luke chapter 8, where Jesus is brought to a dead girl and raises this young lady back to life. I think what Luke is trying to say to us to show us these parallels is that Jesus' ministry has not stopped. But Jesus' ministry is continuing through the apostles. It's continuing through his disciples. It's continuing even through us today. 
in Matthew chapter 5, I'll turn there briefly. You don't have to turn there. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, let me read this to you. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are called to display Jesus Christ. Amen? The ministry of Christ is to go to the world through His saints, through us, the set-apart ones. May we have eyes to see the opportunities. As Peter comes to this man, he notices that he is paralyzed. And in the same way that Jesus had compassion and moved with compassion, Peter has compassion for the broken, for the hurting, for the paralyzed man in this case, and moves with compassion seeing this opportunity. Thirdly, Peter was empowered. Peter was empowered. Meaning it wasn't his own power, but the power came from somewhere else. Years ago, my wife and I had friends, uh, they were another couple, who we genuinely enjoyed hanging out with. And we genuinely wanted to see them become Christians. They had expressed to us their distaste for religion. Their desire to stay away from anything that sounded religious. So we were very slow and patient in our conversations with them. But one day we were sitting in our living room and we got to the point of sharing the gospel with them. And I remember just feeling, you know that feeling of like, I'm just going to go ahead and do this now, <laughs> you know? And uh, I'm going to tell them about the whole story about Jesus and sin and that they are uh, on their way to destruction in their sin, that they need a Savior, but that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and that the, Jesus took the judgment, the punishment that they deserve uh, because Jesus is the only perfect substitute because Jesus is God in the flesh. And you know, you're saying this kind of stuff to somebody who's got more degrees than you'll ever imagine having, and you think like, man, I, I probably sound so ridiculous to them, but you believe that there's power in the gospel, and so you keep talking, right? And, uh, and then I, I called them to repent, turn from their sins, and to trust in Jesus Christ alone, and that Turning to Christ means that they will be forgiven of their sins, cleansed from all unrighteousness, put into Christ, resurrected with Jesus one day, and forever separated from the presence of sin, living together with God in a new world, a new creation. And I remember she looked at me and she said, it was almost like this look of like, oh, I get what you're doing. She was like, are you trying to convert us? And I thought really quick, and I was like, no, I'm not. Because if you're converted, that's something that God will do, not me. I'm just telling you about it. <laughs> All right, listen, this is what I mean by empowered. The power doesn't come from us 
to do the miraculous work. We just tell people about it. We're just the vessel. We're just the tool. So look at the story here of Peter getting back into our text. As, as Peter begins to interact with Aeneas, what he says is, Aeneas, look at this. He doesn't say, I heal you. What does he say? He says, Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus Christ heals you. Let's stop right there. The, the, the real power is declared by Peter. Peter is empowered. What I'm, why I use the word empowered is, is to say that, is that there is an authority that is derived from somewhere else. So I don't want to say that Peter had power. I want to say that Peter was empowered. Because the authority doesn't come from him, it comes from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he says, heals you. Now, check this out. So the, first, the power is declared. Secondly, there is a command that is given. Next line, next, next word. He says, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. Now, you know, if your mama ever wanted like some go-to proof text that when you get up in the morning, you ought to make your bed, she should have quoted every morning, Acts 9, 34, rise and make your bed. Make your bed here, it doesn't just simply mean straighten it up. But it, 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 it's sort of this word that would kind of indicate like rolling it up and putting it away. Remember, this man has been laying on this bed for eight years. And what Peter says, what he declares, uh, or, or rather commands the man to do, is to rise and get rid of the thing that you've been in need of for the last eight years. Meaning, it's done. You're completely healed. Put it away. Now, that's the command. But before we go on, we have, to, we have to ask ourselves, does the paralyzed man have the ability to obey this command? You see, in the Bible, there is always this tension between command and ability to obey the command. You see, even with our friends back in the day, as I'm sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and I say, turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Question, do they even have the ability to obey that command? Well, this, this moves us on to the next piece. So he says, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. The third point here that I want to just draw out from this is the ability. There's the power, where the power comes from, the command, and the ability to obey that command. Think of the, think of the gospel narratives. Uh, we see Jesus coming up to a blind man, and, and he commands the blind man to see. How can the blind man obey Jesus' command. He goes to the lame and he commands the lame to walk. How can the lame obey Jesus' command? He goes to Lazarus and he commands Lazarus to come out of the grave. How can Lazarus obey the command? 
Well, Peter commands Ananias to rise. How can Ananias obey the command? Later on, uh, Peter commands in verse 40, Tabitha to, to arise. How can Tabitha obey the command? Listen, saints, you too are empowered. And you might stop me and say, well, wait a second. I'm not empowered to go heal paralytics and to raise dead people up from the grave. I wish I had that ability, but I don't, I'm not empowered to do that. And I would say, you're absolutely right. You're not empowered to do the lesser. You're empowered to do the greater. Because this, this is a picture of the greater. It confirms the greater. And that is this. When you call through the gospel message a sinner to turn from their sins and to trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit gives you the power and the strength in that call as you put that command out there. Now, you don't have the ability to regenerate a lost soul. You don't have the ability to convert a sinner to a saint, but God does. You see, the command goes out, God has the ability to cause the blind to obey the command. You get it? God has the ability to cause the spiritually dead to obey the commands to turn from their sins and to trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, we too are empowered. Fourth, fourth, Peter was eager. He's eager. He's energized. He's got eyes. He's empowered. And Peter is eager. I see an eagerness here. He, he is eager to respond to an opportunity that is given to him. When you're excited about something, you're eager to respond to an opportunity to tell someone about what you're excited about. A little over a year ago, Kevin and Stephanie were preparing to get married, and the pandemic struck, the venues were closed, their family, their friends could not travel here, there could not be this big ceremony as they once uh, imagined. And so after much prayer and counsel, Stephanie and Kevin decided, let's go ahead and get married anyway. We're going to do it in the Waller's backyard and have ten people socially distanced. And when they made that decision, they were excited about the decision they made. And before you knew it, Stephanie had written an article on the Gospel Coalition. And then there was an interview that they had, uh, or that Stephanie had with Moody Radio talking about the decision that they made. And then they were on uh, 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 Baltimore Local News, WBAL, whatever it was, TV, being interviewed on the decision that they made. My point is this, is when you are excited about something, you're eager to take the opportunity to tell somebody about it. Does that make sense? I wonder if we are excited about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. All right, I'll get back to that in a second. So, Peter is excited 
about his work in displaying the ministry of Jesus Christ. And it says, as we transition in verse 36, in, uh, in Joppa, which is about nine miles from Lido, Lido, which is where Peter was at, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Well, you can understand now why she went by Tabitha. Listen, you, 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 you didn't grow up in church if you've never made a Dorcas joke, all right? She was full of good works and acts of charity. So she was first a Christian, verse 36. She's a disciple. And she's like this really cool individual. She's doing a lot of good for people. She's filled with good works. It says that she's got acts of charity. That means that she's likely generous with her money. She's also a fashion designer. We see in verse 39, she makes clothes and garments. But things took a turn for the worse for Tabitha. In verse 37, it says, In those days she became ill and died. Now it was their custom in those days to keep a body around for about three days. And so they washed her and they laid her in an upper room. Now, Lydda is near Joppa. That's Lydda is where Peter is currently at. The disciples, her friends, hearing that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. Verse 39, so Peter rose. So Peter rose and went with them. I love the flexibility of Peter's schedule. He's, he's doing work, he's, he's visiting, going from here to there, uh, he's with this man named Aeneas, and then there's another opportunity that Peter responds to. I believe that Peter is eager to display who Jesus is. And when given the opportunity, he says, yes, I'll go. You know, I just want to personally apply this to my own life and say I want to be as flexible as Peter with my own opportunities. I think it is so easy in our modern day culture to have no time to go over to Joppa. To have no time to respond to the opportunities that are given to us to display who Jesus is. Look, in our community... In our community, folks are just not going to put you on their calendar. Like, there's got to be a little bit of a flexibility to respond to opportunities. Tragedy will not ask you if it fits into your schedule. Opportunities to sit with the grieving will not give you a heads up. But rather, we need to be, as Christians, responsive to the opportunities that God gives us to display Jesus Christ to the world. Like, what if when we hear of a shooting or a homicide in our neighborhood, instead of Christians running away from it, what if we ran to it as an opportunity to be with the hurting and the grieving? Not to gawk but to pray with those family members who are just now showing up in tears. Peter 
is eager to respond to the opportunity. Secondly, Peter is also eager to respond to an open door. I want to skip forward uh, uh, just a verse or two to verse 43 to show you another aspect of Peter's eagerness here. It says, And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. A tanner. Why does Luke tell us that this man Simon is a tanner? Luke is very specific. We've talked about this already in Acts. He's very specific in what he chooses to disclose and to explain to us and to tell us. And he tells us that this man is a tanner. Why does he tell us this? Well, the religious folk of Jesus or of Peter's day rather, the religious people would have looked down on the tanner profession. A tanner is somebody who would take skin hide, uh, animal hide, skins and they would be hung all around this person's house, drying out. This, this person works with dead animals every day. And that was considered ceremonially unclean. And so a tanner then was an unclean kind of job. And to stay in the home of a tanner would be something that would be like, eh, not for the religious. And I, I imagine, as Peter is, is going in here, I just imagine some religious folks saying, Peter, don't, don't, don't stay with the tanner. We don't, you don't, we don't stay with tanners. Does anybody here remember In Living Color? Homie D. Clown? Homie, don't play that. That's exactly what popped in my head as I'm reading this text and I'm studying it. Peter said, homie, don't play that. Homie, don't play that. (laughs) Look, you're going to the outcast. Someone says, hey, 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 that's too much. Homie, don't play that. You're eager to take the gospel to the lost and to the hurting and to the broken, and you're going to the corner, and you're hanging out with the guys on the corner. Somebody comes along and says, hey, religious folk don't hang hang out on the corner. You take your mask. Homie, don't play that. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> Peter, is, Peter is eager to take the opportunity that is given to him. And Peter is eager to take the open door no matter who it is. Because Peter has the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is setting us up. I can't wait to get there in two weeks. Because I'm not preaching next week. The conversion of Cornelius. Luke is doing such a good job setting us up for the fact that the gospel is going to the least, the broken, the hurting, the down and out, the outcast, the Gentile. Lastly, fifthly, Peter was explicit. He's energized, he's got eyes, he's empowered, he's eager, and Peter was explicit. Here's what I mean by this. As we, get, uh, as we see Peter interact with Tabitha now in verse 40, it says, Peter goes to the upper room and he put them all outside. And what does he do? It says, he knelt down and prayed. Remember going back to verse uh, 34, as Peter is healing by the power of God, Ananias, he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Now in verse 40, He prays. The power of God is all through this text. 
this text is explicitly about God, not about Peter. He is a man of faith. A man that kneels down and prays for God's help, knowing that he is nothing but an empty vessel if not for the power of God flowing through him. Now, as the text closes in verse 40 and 41, it says that uh, he calls Tabitha to arise. God gives Tabitha the, the ability to obey that command. It says that she opened her eyes, and when she sat up, he gives her his hand, and he raises her up off the, off the bed. Calls the saints and the widows, and he presents her alive. Now, why do I say that P- Peter was explicit? I think Peter, we don't, we don't have the whole interaction here, But I believe that Peter in no way was bringing glory to himself through any of this. But rather, he was explicitly bringing glory to God. Now, where do I see that in the text? Verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. It didn't say they saw him and they turned to him. It doesn't say that they saw him and they they created this, this little shrine for Peter. But they saw his work and they turned to the Lord. Same kind of response in verse 42. After Tabitha is raised, it says, It became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter is clear. He's been clear in the Gospel message in his Gospel presentation. We've already seen that. I I am convinced that that Gospel clarity continued with Peter throughout his entire ministry and we see the evidence of it as people do not praise Peter. But Peter, or rather people praise the Lord. People don't find their salvation in keeping Peter around but people find their salvation in turning to Jesus Christ. Are you with me? You know, Bach, the, uh, the, the, the musician back in the day, quoting all these artists, I feel like I'm being a little, I'm not trying to be like bougie, artiste. But, uh, you know, Bach, who was a, a, a great musician, at the end of his pieces, he would write three letters. S period, D period, G period. You know what that stood for? It stood for solo deo gloria, which is a Latin phrase, meaning God gets the glory for this. Like Bach himself was a believer. Bach himself knew that 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 any gift that he has is just something that has come from the Lord. And so everything that he does is not for his own glory, but he wants to remind those who are reading his music and even hundreds of years later still continuing to play his music that the glory belongs to God alone. Not to us. Not to us. But to God be the glory. I wonder. I wonder, I wonder if, if you would say... 
Man, that flip phone is amazing, artist. Where did you find such a cool flip phone? Now, you ain't going to give the glory to the flip phone. You're going to give the glory to the artist. I wonder if any of us would read this text and say, man, let's give Peter all the glory for all of his wondrous acts. No, church, we give God all of the glory for his wondrous acts. I wonder if anybody here would say, hey, give me the glory for the things that I have done. Or would you say, now give God the glory for the things he has done. I wonder if anybody here would say, I am just a vessel. God, use me. God, uh, give me the energy to be compelled by love to go to the lost and to the least, to go to my fellow church family, to display the glory and the love of God. God, give me the eyes to see the opportunities. God, empower me in my gospel presentation that I might with clarity communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ and with boldness give the command that they, if it wasn't for God's grace, would never be able to obey, but with the belief that God has the power to wake them up from the dead. God, let me be eager to take every opportunity and to take every open door to display Jesus, and let me be explicit in that display. To God alone belongs the glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who deserves all of the glory. We say, God, not to us, but to you. Belongs the glory. May we be a people who live on mission like Peter, filled with the power of your Holy Spirit. Use us, God, to encourage your saints, to encourage your people, and to see the lost come to know Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.